You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, why don't you turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. We are in week two of our study through the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we're so stoked and we're so glad that you guys are choosing to spend and carve out this time of your Sunday morning to be with us. Um, But how's it? You guys doing all right? All right. Last week I was a little worried, not going to lie. Um, it, was, it was kind of a, a, a bit of a, of a heavy sermon, and so um, if you didn't listen to it, um, you can go back and listen to it. We have it available online for you guys to um, kind of catch up, so uh, make sure you're on par with us for Ecclesiastes. But I had visions of you. Like, especially like the husbands, if you're married, sitting back on your couch, watching the football game, your wife like, hey, baby, you want to mow the lawn? Nope. You heard the preacher, vanity. It's all vanity, right? Anyone do that? Play the vanity card? No? Okay. Anyone calling for sick at work? I hope not. Um, Well, hopefully you guys have made your way to Ecclesiastes. Before we get into Ecclesiastes, wanted to make an announcement to you guys. We... Um, as a church, are a growing church, and it's a privilege to see God doing it. We don't do that. We're just kind of hanging on for the ride, just like you guys are. And so um, part of our areas of growth is cakey. We have like a bazillion babies. We have a lot of babies, which is awesome. But um, we also have a need for the, uh, kids who are a bit older, too, than uh, just babies. We, we need help in cakey. That's what I'm trying to say. And so uh, part of that is we have an intern director opening for our cakey ministry. And so if you feel called by God and if you are gifted in the, the area of directing and leading a cakey, we would love for you to apply. And so you can go, uh, you can send us a resume actually. Send us your resume to eric at shorebreakchurch.com. So your resume to shorebreakchurch.com. It's an unpaid position. So it's volunteer. Most of everything we do here at the church is all volunteers, so the salary is uh, paid forward in heaven. That's what it is. And so, um, and if you want, if you forgot the, e- the email, eric at shorebreakchurch.com, email it at info at shorebreakchurch.com, and it will get to the person who it needs to be. So um, just make sure, again, though, that you send that to us, along with a written paragraph or two or three of why you feel like you'd be a good fit. Uh, we want to make sure that you're a good fit for us, but we also want to make sure we're a good fit for you. It's, it's a, it's, it goes both ways. So um, there you have it. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting with verse 1. I said in my heart, come, now I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made for myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
Then I considered all that my hand had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Jesus, we come before you, God, and we ask that you would help us to understand what you have said in your word. Holy Spirit, would you help me to faithfully say what you've written, to proclaim the truths of your scripture. And God, may we be receptive, and may we be open, and may we be willing to hear what you would have to say to us. May we decrease, God, so that you would increase. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need you to impart your wisdom that is from above, and so we ask for that. And no matter what we've brought in with us this morning at church, whatever meaninglessness, whatever vain things we've indulged in, even this week, whatever problems we've had, God, we come before you seeking meaning, seeking purpose. Through your word, would you help us arrive at the conclusion that apart from you, everything is in fact meaningless. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Would you be glorified and would we be blessed? In your name, amen. Imagine for a moment, you're going to have to use your imagination, just giving you a heads up. Some of you are like, no, I'm not going to have to use my imagination. Yes, you are. You're going to just saying. Imagine for a moment, you are the wealthiest person on the planet. No one has more money than you do. You have an unlimited desire or a limited amount of money. And you could do whatever your heart desires. So that house that you want, well, you could buy that house. You can purchase the house. The car that you have your eyes on, go ahead. Or cars, make it plural, right? You can, you can buy cars. Uh, you go on a vacation, you visit the island. You're like, I'm not just going to visit the island. I'm going to buy the island. That's the money we're talking about here. You are absolutely loaded, You could buy whatever your heart desires. In fact, if you dropped money, it wouldn't be worth your time to reach down and pick it up. I heard someone talking about this, about Bill Gates, and I didn't believe it. So I actually, I researched it for myself. Bill Gates holds $72 billion to his name. $72 billion. The amount of money he makes every hour amounts to so much money that if he were to drop a $100 bill, it wouldn't be worth his time to bend down and pick it up because you would actually lose money. So when I'm saying rich, that's the wealth we're talking about. Imagine you are that wealthy. Imagine you possess that much money. And not only are you the wealthiest person in the world, but you are the smartest, the wisest person in the world. People travel from around the world to visit you and your grand, glorious home that you own. An incredible view just to learn wisdom that they've never heard before and to deal with conflict that they don't know how to deal. And you you write a book and it goes up on shelves and it's sold out. You were a best-selling author. People cannot learn from you fast enough. And because of your brains and your net worth, no pleasure is withheld from you because you have your brains and you have power you have money unlimited relationships are at your disposal unlimited destinations for you to visit you can enjoy the best finest food on earth and everything is served to you with a silver or golden spoon or other golden spoon And on top of that, you are the most powerful and famous person on earth. I told you, you'd have to use imagination, right? That's our man Solomon. That is Solomon. The wealthiest, the most powerful, the the, the most wisest person who has ever walked this earth. With his unlimited wealth, power, and fame, he is endeavoring and he is taking us with him to find out what life is really all about. And he is inviting us to join him on this venture. And we should join him on this venture. 
Because you and I will never amount to what Solomon has. You will never be as wealthy. You will never be as wise. You will never have as much at disposal as he will. And so before we go any further into the book of Ecclesiastes, you need, and I need to understand something. And that thing is, Solomon has everything at his disposal. Everything. But you and I don't. Whatever Solomon saw, he would buy. He, he is going to tell us as we're going to read. Anything he saw, it was his, his heart's desire. The thing is, you and I will never have what he had. And so we, he had everything, but we chase everything. And so it would be good for us to hear the preacher. It would be good for us to hear this man named Solomon because he has what we can never have. And we know from chapter 1 that Solomon is king over Israel, not Ghettoville, Israel, the most powerful and influential nation on the earth at that time. He is the son of David, King David, David who slew Goliath, David who ruled David, who Jesus will come and sit upon his throne. And so for the next couple of months, not only is he the king of Israel and he is the son of David, but he is our preacher, or in the original language, he is our teacher. And there are things that we should learn from this man. We should listen to what he has to say. In verse 13, he gives us the goal, the vision of what he is setting his life out to do. In verse 13 of chapter 1, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So Solomon is experimenting for us all. Nothing, nothing is withheld from this man. Everything that is under the sky, he pursues every pleasure, everything he goes after, he is going to try to find satisfaction. And we've got nothing on him at all. And as we follow him on this venture and explore what he is going to pursue, he is going to pursue after the most lofty illustrations his heart could ever imagine or desire. And he isn't saying here, just so you know, he isn't saying some of these things won't bring temporary happiness. No doubt there is pleasure in some of the things that he is going to pursue. There is happiness. There is a rush and enjoying things under the sun. But he is showing us that even in all of our pleasure and enjoyment, there is a disclaimer. That under the sun, there is fine print. There's always fine print, isn't there? There is fine print under anything and everything we do under the sun. And when he says under the sun, just so you know, before we go any further, if you weren't with us last week, anything under the sun is, is, is everything in creation after Genesis 3. So Genesis 3 and beyond, Adam and Eve sin, creation is fractured, man has his broken relationship with God where it's now severed. It's not what it once was. That is what he is viewing, everything under the sun. And he is going to show us how far we can go under the sun without God. What does life look like apart from God? Verse 1, I said in my heart, he's talking to himself. That's what intelligent people do, right? And talk to themselves. I'm just saying that to make me feel better because it's not true. Um, well, it is for him anyway. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Few days of their life. Thanks, Solomon, for that few days what the book of James says our life is a vapor it's here for a moment and then it's gone our days on this earth are few now chapter one is the introduction to King Solomon and the purpose of emptiness and he spoils everything right off the bat doesn't he it's all vanity 
Just so you know. You know like the movies that you watch when the ending is at the very beginning? Um, one of my favorite movies, Inception, is that movie. You actually, when you are starting the movie, are seeing the very end of the movie, and then you watch, not the, and I didn't spoil it for you, None, half of us don't even know what Inception's about. We just like it. But, but nonetheless, though, as, but, but th- that's what's happening here. Just like Inception, Solomon is spoiling everything up front, and he says, it's all vanity. If you're wanting to know what the purpose of everything is, it's pointless. It's meaningless. There is no point to any of it. And that word for vanity, we will become very familiar with because it appears many times throughout, roughly 30 times in Ecclesiastes. And vanity, and the uh, Hebrew word means havel, which literally means meaningless, pointless. No purpose, to be without purpose. And so now we have Solomon dealing with exhibit A. The first investigation in chapter 2 that he is taking us on. The first thing that he is going to look at and test. And that thing is pleasure. He's going to look at pleasure. Now the word for test there that we see there that he says, I'm going to test this. I will test you with pleasure. Literally means examining. So he is looking at pleasure through the x-ray. And he isn't doing this for just one or two days. He's devoting his life to pleasure. He's going all in to siphon every single ounce of pleasure he can find under the sun. And he's doing it with his emotional state. He's doing it with his physical state. And he is doing it with his spiritual state. He is going all in to pleasure. And he is going to do this and he starts out in pursuit of pleasure in verses 2 and 3 and he's seeking pleasure as we just read through laughter and through wine basically partying right if you're laughing and there's alcohol it's probably a party and that's how Solomon starts out he is throwing party after party now this isn't just some kind of okay semi-okay party this is a party Like Solomon wasn't just like, all right, well, the parents are going to be out for the weekend. So on Friday night, we're going to borrow their alcohol and we're going to do this. We're going to throw a party and everyone's going to have a good time. Solomon isn't borrowing David and Bathsheba's home. Solomon goes out because he's loaded. Remember, wealthiest person ever and says, oh, that house, I'm going to buy that house just for the party. So he buys the house. It's got the ocean view. It has the pool. It has a great area for throwing incredible parties. And that's what he does. He throws these parties. Open bar. Finest wine. Music is there. Modern day DJs. He's got DJs there. Dance floors. People are going all out at these parties. And we are told that he's seeking after laughter. Which means that he's bringing comedians there to cheer him up. This is a party. Don't think for a moment Solomon cannot party as good as you did or are currently partying. He's got you beat. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Shed some light on some of these parties. Let me read it to you. Solomon's provision for one day, one day, like, he, this is one party, one day. And he had multiple party after party. One day, here you go, one day, you ready? 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. Okay, we don't know what that means. Let's move on. <laughs> 10 fat oxen. 20 pasture-fed cattle. Like, you know, this is Parker Ranch status, Par- Pasture fed cattle, a hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl, aka big chickens. I was looking this up in commentaries, and I didn't believe the first one I read, so I had to look at some other historical commentaries on this. Every commentary said that this would feed between 15 and 20,000 people. (laughs) 
So for the days that you had with your keg or two on mom and dad's lanai while they were out for the weekend with your red solo cups, got nothing on Solomon. Red solo. Okay. No, no. Solomon, like, get out of your diaper. Like, you don't have anything on me. You're, you're enjoying your little party. You think, no, we think we're better than Solomon, don't we? Well, we have iPads. Oh, great. We have a touchscreen. So what? They had gold pads, right? <laughs> and this wasn't just one night. This was night after night, party after party, thousands of people upon thousands of people. All the food, all the people, all the comic relief, one hangover after another. But even in all of this pleasure, the parties got old. They got old. He couldn't drink enough. He couldn't enjoy enough. He couldn't laugh enough. It was never enough. And so he moved on to what was next. So what's next? Verse 4. I made great works and I built myself I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. It's just like, you know, once we're done with the party scene, we're like, all right, I got to mature up, right? Time to build a house. House is next. Well, that's what Solomon does too. I made for myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, and made myself pools from which the waters, to, to water the forest and growing trees. So here Solomon leaves the party scene from last Friday night. He's seeking pleasure and creating and building for himself. And what Solomon isn't going now and devoting his life to and building his new home makes anything on MTV Cribs look like a dollhouse. It blows all of these homes out of the water. And look at the personal pronouns he uses here in these verses. I made my... I made great works. I built a house and planted vineyards for myself. Really, can we just stop there really quick? Vineyard? Like he plants a vineyard for himself. As if a grape bush in his backyard wouldn't cut it. But he's like, I'm going to plant a vineyard. Oh, and not just vineyard, vineyards. So he plants multiple vineyards for himself. I made for myself gardens. I made pools. I, I, I. Can you not notice how self-absorbed Solomon is? How he is out to make much of his own life. How Solomon is out to, to, to build heaven on earth. To make paradise where he lives. He's a little self-absorbed and he builds his house. Now Solomon spent Seven years on working on the temple of the Lord. Pretty awesome, right? Like he got to build the temple of the Lord. Seven years. And this temple was extravagant. Gold and silver and fine linen and decorated from top to bottom. Solomon decked out the temple of the Lord. But you know how long Solomon spent to build his own home? Fourteen years. 14 years to build his own home. We can only imagine what it must have looked like. I mean, we plant gardens, Solomon plants forests. We grow grapes, he grows vineyards. You see how extravagant his life is. We build pools for our kids. Solomon builds pools for people, for his kids. And in addition to that, he builds pools for his trees and his forests. Come on, man. This guy's living large. Now, what Ecclesiastes isn't saying here is it's, wrong to, it's not wrong to want things. It's not wrong to build things for yourself. But Ecclesiastes is asking you and me, why are you building what you're building? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you earning the next buck? Why are you seeking to dress the way that you do, to build the home? To ta- why? What is the purpose of everything you are trying to create and manufacture and build within your own life. Are we like Solomon? Do we have the Solomon syndrome of I, 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 me, me, me? Why? 
Why are you building what you're doing? Listen, if you are building your life, making your life, living your life for the glory of your own and not for the glory of God, you need to repent this morning. And you need to say, God, I am sorry. I've lived and I've been creating and I've been fabricating this world and I've been doing it for me. It's been about myself and I, myself and I, myself and I. God, I need to repent and say I'm sorry of that. Because the soul that lives for its own glory is like the kid who is just eating candy. Just throwing candy all the time. He's going to get sick. It tastes good at the moment. It is pleasurable for a moment. But then it's not so pleasurable. But when we live for God's glory, we experience new meaning in life, a new purpose in life. When we live for a glory that is greater than our own, we are tapping into now not our own story of life, but a story that is greater than ours, and that is God's story. And we aren't the main character any longer, but we're just an extra. Or maybe we're not even on film. We're just in the background, making much of him, living for his glory. So Solomon's progression from parting to now building a kingdom, in verse 7 and 8, we're going to continue to read now, he is seeking to enjoy everything he has built. So he bought male and female slaves because it's going to take tons of people to upkeep his 14-year built home. Also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Solomon didn't have to do anything for himself at all here, did he? Like his bills were paid for him. Like he woke up in the morning, he could smell breakfast. And then breakfast was brought to him in bed. And then they took out the golden spoon and fed him breakfast. Maybe they even chewed it for him. I don't know. But I mean, that is the type of lifestyle Solomon is living. Oh, Solomon, would you like a massage after your your hard work of eating your breakfast? Absolutely, I would. What's going to happen after the massage? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go play polo and then go play golf. And then what are you going to do? Eat a fat steak and lobster at night. And then what? Do it all over again. Maybe enjoy some wine from my vineyard. If he liked a band, he didn't like buy their album on iTunes and download it. He didn't just buy the record. He didn't just buy the record that was signed by the artist. You know what Solomon did? Solomon bought the band. Oh, I like the band. I'll just buy them. Why would I listen to them digitally when I can just listen to them live? Because that's so much better. And that's what Solomon did. Now what we are told here in verse 8, look down with me in verse 8. He got silver and gold and the treasures of the king of the provinces. And he said, I got singers, both men and women. And we read here, and many concubines. Many concubines. Solomon was a ladies' man, straight up. He lived for women. 1 Kings 11.3 reports to us that Solomon had 700 wives. 700. How? Like, how many people did you marry, Solomon? This, you know, I married seven people on Thursday. Okay, all right, well. And not just 700 wives, but 300 concubines. He makes... Hugh Hefner looked like junior varsity. Now Solomon's, just so you know, just so you know, is by no means endorsing this type of lifestyle. Some of us are like, I like this preacher actually. Keep it coming, brother. Come on, I like this. No, no, no. Solomon's like, he's not endorsing it. He's just saying, I've had unlimited resources. This is where I've gone. And this is where I'm taking you with me to see how all of this plays out. And so Solomon is not endorsing it, but he is reporting from his experience. Because again, he has access and privilege that we will never have. And you guys, with all of those women and all of those concubines, he did not withhold himself from any sexual experience he can endeavor on. He experienced sexually everything. He did. And was it enough? 
Song of Solomon, which is actually another one of the wisdom literature, just after Ecclesiastes. Um, not chronologically, though, in his life. Song of Solomon meets this woman, and things are going really well, and then they get married, and then you can see them enjoying life. But even in the midst of that, even in their, his own marriage to one another, was it enough? He had to marry someone else. And was that sex enough? No. Then he had to marry someone else. And was that sex enough? No. Then he had to experience more and more and more. And was it gonna do, what, what, what was it going to take? Was it enough? I mean, he had 900 mistresses in his life. Maybe 901. Yeah, 901. Maybe 901. Then I will be satisfied. Then I will be happy. Then I will have experienced true pleasure. Oh, wait. Maybe 902. Or 903. We are a sexually saturated culture. John Mayer said in an interview, we have an autonomy of comfort and pleasure. It is a new synaptic pathway. There probably have been days when I saw 300 naked girls before I got out of bed. I'm not here mocking John May. I mean, he's, he's got some good music, but at the end of the day, and I'm not endorsing him by any means, but at the end of the day, not enough. It's not enough. So let me ask you, for you, when is it enough sexually? How many more nude pictures of girls do you have to download before you're satisfied? Or men? How many more casual encounters do you need to indulge in before you finally are like, yeah, I'm, I'm sexually pleased? How many more marriages do you have to cycle through to finally realize that you found the one and that they are perfect and that they meet all of your physical needs? In our culture, nothing is more valued than pleasure. And among pleasure, sex is number one. And sex outside the way God designed it for marriage, which is between a man and a woman, it's just the way that God designed it. Outside of that, outside of marriage, it is sin. It is sinful. And I'm not saying all the married people in the house are better than the single people. I am not saying that. I'm just saying that's the way God designed this universe. That it would be man and woman and matrimony before God and before the government and before people saying, I have made a promise to this person. That is the way he designed it. But even in marriage, Solomon found that, that a, 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 a song of Solomon starts great, but then we have Ecclesiastes where he has 700 wives and, and 300 concubines in his life. And even in marriage, when our sex life is ignorant the way God had designed it, it is never enough to quench our desire for pleasure. We will never be satisfied. And so listen, if you are single, glorify God with your sex life and your singleness. I know it sounds weird. Some of you are like, what? Did you just say sex life and glorify God? Yes, I did. I absolutely did. I mean, the Song of Solomon is an explicit book. I won't even... Talk about all the things that he talks about in that book. But God does care about our sexual purity and our sexual fidelity with the one that God has brought to us. But under the sun, apart from God's plan, it is never enough. And so verse 9, we continue with Solomon here. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And he says this, this is interesting. Also, my wisdom remained with me. That's important to know. Solomon isn't saying, like, when I got drunk or when I partied or when I did all of these things, when I went crazy, Solomon is not saying, I lost my mind in the process of it all. He's saying, my wisdom stayed with me. I remembered my mission. I remembered my purpose. I remember what I set out to do. He's not like the 12-year-old girl who might meet Justin Bieber. Everything's out the door. Everything. It's like, oh, my gosh. Right? I mean, it's, or you see a famous person you know or whatever. Or even when you go out and party. Then you go to drink their problems away. But Solomon said, no, no, no. Through it all, through everything I'm endeavoring, my wisdom is staying intact with me. And so verse 9, he became great. He was popular. 
And you know what he said here in verse 10? Yeah, the party scene, honestly, it was fun. It was fun. That's what he says. That there was pleasure in it. He had pleasure in it. Look at verse 10. What, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Some of us Christians think that people who aren't Christians and who are out partying or doing other things are having no fun at all. Right? We often do that. Oh, they're in the world. They're going to the concert. Well, they're not having fun. They're not having, no, there's no way. Really? That's, that's what we do sometimes. That's what we think sometimes. We think if they don't love Jesus, they have no way of having pleasure and no way of having fun. That's not entirely true. We can over-spiritualize it. My, my middle child, Curran, uh, I love him. He's a, a great and sweet kid, and he like, and he's kind of like our, our spiritual one in the house. And so um, we'll, if we'll go pull up and check out the surf, I'm like, man, the surf, the, the surf is breaking amazing right now. I was like, no, it's not. I was like, oh, really? No, it's not. He's like, no, because Jesus is awesome. I was like, oh, right, okay, that's right. Or then I'll be like, hey, babe, thanks for this food. It's, 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 it's wonderful. It's like, no, it's not. Jesus is wonderful. And it's like, it's cute. But that's what we do. Nah, they're not having fun. Listen, there is pleasure in sin. If sin wasn't fun, would anyone be doing it? If sin was like poking, you know, needles in your eyes, it's like, this is so much fun. No, it, <laughs> there, is the, there is pleasure in it. The Bible says it is fleeting for a moment. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You got to see this. Verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I've kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found toil and all my pleasure. Was it fun? Yes. Toil, comma. Do you see the comma there? And that comma forces us to pause for a moment. The comma forces us to stop for a moment. The comma says, but this was my reward for all my toil. So, how was parting, Solomon? It was fun. And what did you accomplish? It was fun. It was fun. Or, or, hey, Solomon, how was it building that incredible house? What is the most beautiful thing in the world? It's great. And what, 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 where did you arrive? It, 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 was, it was great. Solomon said, after everything I pursued, after everything I desired, and I acquired everything my heart desired, and I got it, what did I get in return? A good time. And that was it. The food couldn't taste any better, did it? Could it have? The parties were incredible, and then he built this house. And he's rushing through the process of building his home. It's not like, oh man, I wish I didn't put that chandelier there on the wall there. He took 14 years to build this home. Vineyards, ranches, pools, gardens, relationships, sex. And Solomon discovered that even amidst the greatest pleasure, pain was always present to remind him that all under the sun is vanity. He considered the years of his life devoted to seeking any pleasure his heart could imagine. And this preacher reports to you and to me from the front lines, from where we could never be. He says, no, 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 no. It's meaningless. It is vanity. That 14, 16, 20 years ago when he began his binge on pleasure, because we know it was at least 14 years. From verse 1 to verse 11, 14-year journey, at least, at least. After all of that, Solomon, if you were to ask him, Solomon, so how was it all? Where are you at today? I'm right where I started at verse 1. I'm right back at the beginning. He's gone everywhere by going nowhere. He's been running on the treadmill. Maybe he's run one, two, three miles. His pulse rate is up. He's sweating, but he hasn't gained any traction at all. When we make pleasure our purpose, we too arrive at the same conclusion 
Solomon did. All is meaningless. Now there's something we need to consider here. God doesn't hate pleasure. You know that? Like, he is the author of it. But what happens often is we believe the, the tragic lie from Satan and from this world that, that God is out to steal your joy, that God is out to steal your pleasure, and that, and that but now becoming a Christian now, all right, I'm a Christian, I, I believe in Jesus, now I can't have a good time anymore. But that couldn't be further from the truth. But we often think Jesus is out to take our pleasure because sin seems so amazing. We think God is ultimately the epic killjoy, Right? But we have to go back to the beginning to understand the heart of God and even creation. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he made man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he made them naked in a garden with no other people around. And God didn't like create them, walk away. Hey, what's up, Jesus? What's up, Holy Spirit? Turn around and be like, Hobra, get off her. What are you doing, Adam? No, stop it. I didn't see that part of the plan. God's like, no, no, no. What did he say? He said, the yeah, opposite. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Which means what? Have some pleasure. Go for it. Be fruitful and multiply. So from the beginning, in all of creation, God had our pleasure in mind. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. So listen, I'm not telling you this morning, if you are on the pursuit of pleasure, you're wrong. That's not what we're saying here. From the beginning, God put pleasure in creation. But what pleasure are you seeking that you think will bring you purpose and meaning that is under the sun? What thing are you trying to find satisfaction in that is other than Jesus? And you know it's been leaving you empty. It's been, it's been pointing and screaming at you, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Just one more drink, just one more video, just one more dollar, whatever it is. Seeking pleasure isn't wrong. Seeking pleasure apart from Jesus is sinful and wrong. Why? Solomon says here in verse 12, because it's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Have you tried chasing the wind ever? You'd look ridiculous for one if you did. And it's not going to work out too good for you either way. God doesn't hate pleasure. He is the author of it. But the tragic thing is we believe the lie. C.S. Lewis said this. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And he says, we are far too easily pleased. Listen, this morning, it's not... Your desire for pleasure that's wrong. It's not that you don't seek pleasure hard enough. It's, it's, it's that you don't want it bad enough. And where we find pleasure reveals where we are trying to find our purpose. I'm going to say that to you again. Where you find pleasure reveals where you are trying to find your purpose in life. And Ecclesiastes is a book of questions that the rest of the Bible answers. And Solomon started out in verse uh, verse 2. He said, I said of laughter, it is mad and pleasure. What use is it? Solomon is right. What use is pleasure under the sun? It is, in fact, meaningless, empty. But it is through Jesus Christ the, pre- the pleasures of this broken world are finally redeemed. So God created flavor, like he gave you taste buds. He didn't have to do that. Did you know that? He didn't have to give you taste buds, but he wanted you to enjoy food. And so God made food. I mean, God made ahi. Praise the Lord for ahi. I'm serious. Come on, right? Like he, he made that, and, and it tastes good. And then, and, then, and then God gave us sunsets. God created Waipio Valley. 
And there's a lookout at Waipio Valley. Why? It's just a valley. Well, yeah, but it's bigger than us. And people come and they stand and they like to look and behold of all the glory of what is created there. And of course, we know now God made that. So because we are Christians, because we love God, because we were born again, now we can enjoy all the pleasures that God had made with purpose. So before you would go and you would eat just to eat for eating's sake, but now you eat and you're like, God, thank you for this food. I can glorify you in eating this food. And so now you can go and sit and watch that sunset, and it's not like everything in the universe was bam there, but it's like, no, God, you were the author of everything. Everything we do has meaning and purpose and pleasure with God. All the pleasures of this world point to him. Don't love the pleasure. Love the source of the pleasure. Don't go like and you know, it's like um, whenever you're like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're driving and, and, and you're arriving um, and you're going somewhere and there's like a street sign. Like you're not, you don't go up and hug the street sign, right? You go up and hug your family who lives at the home that you're finally happy to visit. Like, oh, the street sign is, no, that's just, that's the pleasure. But, the, but, but, but Jesus is our object and our affection of worship. When Jesus is our greatest affection, we are never more pleased and we've never had so much joy. Hear me out on this in closing. If all you get in life is Jesus, you get all of life. If all you get in life is Jesus, you you get everything you could have. Solomon had more than you ever will. And verses 1 through 11. But in Jesus Christ, you can experience more pleasure and joy than Solomon ever did in verses 1 through 11. You can have the abundance of heaven and the Holy Spirit giving you purpose, giving you meaning, giving you pleasure. And just so you know, that pleasure is not for your own glory, but it's all for his glory. All for his glory. So Jesus, who is beyond the sun, has accomplished a great work under the sun. So that those of us under the sun can look to Jesus and have purpose beyond the sun. We can look to Jesus Christ. We can look to him because he came under the sun. Even though he created the sun, he submitted himself to the works under the sun. And he lived and he enjoyed the, the G, God perfectly. And Jesus lived without sin. And Jesus experienced more pleasure on this earth than any of us had. And just so you know, he never had sex. He wasn't married. So Jesus enjoyed God perfectly. But not only did Jesus experience the most pleasure on this earth than anyone would ever would, but Jesus also experienced the most pain anyone would ever experience And he was crucified and he was killed because he claimed to be God, because he loves you, because he loves you too much to leave you in your little pitiful state of playing with the things and the meaningless things of this world. And so Jesus comes and he lives and he dies because he claimed to be God. And on the third day, he rose again. And in him, rising and conquering sin and death, now we too can join him in that life through regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you have been running on the treadmill and if you are exhausted from this life, Can I just ask you, get off the treadmill. Like, get off and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Heaven and hell are real. Everything you would pursue under the sun apart from God is meaningless and is vain. And even if you're a Christian this morning, hear me out on this. We all try to find pleasure and we turn to other things other than Jesus, even in our Christian walk. And we fail. And from those things, can I ask you? Can I challenge you? Because I love you. I need it too. I need it too. We need to repent. We need to stop building heaven on earth. We need to be consumed more with God's word than our 401k. We need to be on mission more than just being consumers and seeing what's in it for ourselves. It's not, not the Solomon syndrome of I, 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 but for, that we would live for God's glory and for his pleasure. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God Solomon is a man who you gave wealth, and we know that every perfect good gift is from you, God. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you that Holy Spirit, you told Solomon to write this 
inspired book to teach us lessons on life. person in here, Lord, who's not a a Christian God, or maybe they weren't, but they've been born again through your spirit, they've placed their faith and their trust in you even this morning. They've gotten off the treadmill, God, thank you for doing that. And Holy Spirit, I believe right now, even in this moment, you are calling some people in here, and you are saving them, and you are telling them to get off the treadmill, to repent from their sins. And if that is you this morning, believe on Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Confess your sin to him and he is faithful and just and he will cleanse you and he will forgive you from all unrighteousness. This morning, stop running on the treadmill and run to Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are Christians, confess. Have this moment with God. Tell him that you are sorry. God, I'm sorry for the things that I have pursued and gone after and sought after that are just vain and and meaningless and empty. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to be in your word. God, we we, we want to come to a place of awe and, and honor and reverence before you that in you we can truly be satisfied. It's in your precious son's name we pray, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.